Hey, hey, Cassandra, we're uh, we're about to record. You should sit down. Norman. Get... Y- yes. What do your elf eyes see? Uh, um, our our mics. No, no, you're supposed to say they're taking the podcast to Isengard. We, we've 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 been there all, several times yeah, but already. No, like for reals this time. <laughs> what do you, what do you what do you mean for reals this time? Well, you know the trees and the orcs and the 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 wizard and we're we're taking the podcast. To Isengard. Will there be stupid fat hobbits? Yes. Okay, I'm in. Oh, okay. That was easy. <laughs> I was. I had this whole sales pitch that you know there's potatoes, and you, you know, gotta boil them, <laughs> mash them, <laughs> stick them in a stew. There, there were also gonna be you know some crunchable horses. Um, we're back. <laughs> we have season two, our yes. continuing coverage of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. This time we're talking about Two Towers. Join us on Dueling Genre every Monday through Friday to talk about Lord of the Rings one minute at a time. We're from Lord of the Rings Minute. Leave now and And never come back. No, please come back. (laughs) Dueling Genre. everyone, and welcome to The Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're talking about Alexander Hamilton, Aaron Burr, Elizabeth Schuyler, and the musical Hamilton. And joining the discussion are returning guests, Mattathias Westwood and Kirsta Christensen. Hello! Hello! Thank you so much for joining us. This is probably our first trio without Todd Mack being one of the, one oh, of yeah. the three. <laughs> We've definitely had three in a recording before. Yeah. But. Uh, thank you both for coming on to talk about Hamilton. This is one that, believe it or not, several guests have mentioned they'd be interested in coming <laughs> on to talk about. So I didn't think I could do this one with just a solo run. Uh, so typically, when we open up, we talk about, uh, well, what the Hamilton is, which I think most of our listeners are probably aware. Hamilton is a musical uh, with the book by uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda and uh, the score largely with uh, Alex... Lackamore. Lackamore, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Alex Lackamore. Uh, Though many, many collaborators helped to make this possible. And it tells the story of Alexander Hamilton, his life, his duel with Aaron Burr, and uh, then the end of his life after the duel with Aaron Burr. Uh, so this kind of became kind of a, a phenomenon, particularly for Broadway musical theater, like to break out of Broadway musical theater circles and become known to much wider audiences. Do you guys remember when you first became aware of the Hamilton musical? Yes. Um, So I have a friend named Melissa Leilani Larson. Shout out to her. And she is a very big theater person. She's a playwright. She's also written the book for at least one musical. Um, And she was in New York before it opened on Broadway. So it was like the very last of its previews, whatever, you know, and she saw it and she like couldn't stop raving about it. Said it was so wonderful. And then I think she knew that it was coming, that, that um, NPR was going to be releasing it. And I can't remember what that, what that program is called, but NPR will do something occasionally where you can stream something on their site, like right before it, right before it goes on sale. And so she started talking about it. Then all different kinds of friends on, on social media started talking about it. Um, and and so I just started listening to it at work at one time, streaming it. And then I was just like, why am I weeping at this story, this, you know, however many hundreds of years old story about 
And, and then, like, and there was one point where I even, like, looked up his bio, and then I was like, is that a spoiler? You know, because I, I knew how he died, but I didn't know some other things. I remember the God Milk commercial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so then I so then I listened to it when it was available streaming on NPR, and then I bought it when it was no longer available streaming on NPR. <laughs> Mattathias, do you remember? Yeah, so I also first heard about Hamilton from the same friend, Elizabeth <laughs> Nice. Um, during that same trip, um, and but it was a it was a big thing for me because I um, have always been into musical theater, and in high school, my close group of friends we all did musical theater, and most of us also did mock trial, <laughs> and were very into American history. And um, I can't imagine there's any overlap yeah. with our listeners. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're into some of those and things. so, and so, as soon as I, you know. Um, Mel had posted about it and I looked it up and it was, this was still before it started on Broadway. I was just like, wait, Lin-Manuel Miranda, who we had, when I was in high school, my best friend had introduced us all to In the Heights, Mm -hmm. Miranda's first musical. And so we were very into that. And I said, Lin-Manuel Miranda (laughs) is doing a musical about a founding father. You all need to listen to this, right? This is going to be our thing. Yes. And then it also became America's thing and right. the world's thing right. within a year. And so that was a very exciting and strange time for me, seeing this thing that I was super personally excited about become the phenomenon yeah, of good. the decade. Because when you hear musical about the American Founding Fathers, uh-huh. I mean, we've had 1776, we've had singing and dancing Founding yeah. Fathers on Broadway before, yeah. Yeah. but it still feels pretty niche. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. And this definitely broke out. I first heard about it from a student on a day in class when we were talking about postmodernism, and we were giving examples, and one student in the back said, have you heard about Hamilton? And this was before it had opened up on Broadway. It was like, right. like, like <laughs> the previous. And I was like, no. And she described it. I'm like, well, I'm in. I, right. you know, I, I don't need to know more. I'm going to be interested in this. It also means you are getting postmodernism, because <laughs> this does serve as a good example of postmodernism. So I was pleased the lecture had gone well right. uh, <laughs> to, to that point. Um I am a good teacher. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, someone's getting it. (laughs) Especially postmodernism. That's That's a tough one. Uh, And then um, a lot of my family, my my parents are big history buffs, and and so a lot of my family got into it, and we all discovered, you know, more about Lin-Manuel Miranda and um, and his work, and uh, got very into the the soundtrack. Um, And then I I believe you both saw it when it came on tour through Utah, correct? Mm -hmm. And, And I did as well. So we've all actually been able to see it, which does give us a chance. Kirsten, for us, for yeah. you to share with our listeners your secret superpower. Okay, so I have a secret superpower. Um, and my so so a couple years ago, or maybe three years ago at this point, um, Leslie Odom Jr., who was Aaron Burr on Broadway, was doing a concert tour because now he's suddenly super famous. And and so he ended up his actually his first concert date, I believe it was, was at um, Brigham Young University, which is where I work. And so they they had tickets open for it because part of their concert series when they have people coming through. And tickets sold out like immediately, like within hours. And so they opened up a second date, asked him if he'd stay for a second date. He said, sure, that's fine. And then tickets sold out again. And and I was like, well, that's cool, you know, but I'm not like a stand in line for four hours kind of person, you know, like, or, or you know, wait for hours to get tickets on the whatever side. So I was like, well, congratulations to the people who got those tickets, um, you know. And, and some of my friends that got tickets, but I figured whatever. So then the day he was coming, the first day he was coming at around four in the afternoon, I got a text from a friend saying, I have an extra ticket for Leslie Odom Jr. tonight. Do you want to come? Which wow. I was like, yes. <laughs> um, and, and, 
And so, so, and they were even front row tickets. They were like really kind of amazing. So, um, so I, and, and I should be clarified, I should clarify, she was offering me the ticket, but not for free. So I paid for it. <laughs> I just didn't have to like hurry and, you know, and, and, um, and get on the internet. The next year, um, Renee Elise Goldsberry came, who was, um, who was Angelica Schuyler. Also doing a concert tour, also stopped at BYU. Tickets also sold out immediately. Although I think they at least like knew to give her two days, you uh-huh. know, beforehand. And I thought, ha ha, you know, also did not get tickets for that. I thought, ha ha, wouldn't it be funny if someone offered me a ticket for that at the last minute? A week before she came, a friend of mine texts me and says, I have an extra ticket. I bought it for my sister so that my husband and I and my sister could go see it because my sister's a student at BYU right now. Um, but she has a conflict, which how do you have a conflict with Renee Lee's Goldsberry? <laughs> Never yeah. mind. Her loss is my gain. Do you want the extra ticket? And I said, sure. I, mean, I, I think if you have a scheduling <laughs> conflict, I know which one should win. Yeah. 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 No. Yeah. And I know what her conflict was. And that was not, I mean, again, her loss was my gain. I would not have, I would not have picked what she picked. That's okay. Um, the next year was when, um, was when the, the show was touring and coming to Salt Lake. And I had another friend who got tickets when the season ticket holders got them. And she was going to see if maybe her sister wanted to come from out of state to see it with her. But she's like, but if my sister doesn't see it, want to come, do you want the extra ticket? And I said, yes, I do. So like about a month beforehand, um, I, she confirmed that her sister wasn't going to come. So I was going to get the extra ticket. So we went up to see it. Um, so yes, my Hamil, my, my superpower is having friends offer me Hamilton or Hamilton related tickets at the last minute and it's a very specific superpower and now that I've actually seen the musical I'm not maybe that's the end of it maybe you know the the three wishes have run their course but uh, but yes now when people ask if I have a superpower I I have to say yes I do you'll have to wait for Philippa Sue or Chris Jackson yes 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 exactly no to to, like get the trifecta yeah Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that uh, immediately they had to open up a second date for Leslie Adam Jr. Because I, I was um, – in the, there's a book about the musical called Hamilton the Revolution. Mm-hmm. And it talked about that Leslie Odom Jr. saw a very early version of this when they were still workshopping it and became like, – like loved it. And he was given the chance to read for Aaron Burr as they were still workshopping. Yeah. And he, he he's like, yes, I want to do that. And he's like I, – I memorized the whole thing for the workshop, which you normally don't yeah. do. But I, I wanted to help out with this because I knew it was going to be special. And then – at the same time, he was offered a regular spot on a new TV show. He was offered to do Aaron Burr for the for the actual play. Mm-hmm. And he said, my whole career, I've been working to get the regular TV gig. And then I thought I'd come back periodically to do Broadway. Like yeah. the, the, the order in which my life was laid out for success was get TV film and then come back and do Broadway. And then I, I couldn't decide. And he was contracted for the show. And yeah. he said he went out and talked and they released him so he could do, he chose to do Hamilton and then immediately, like you said, his his tour dates opened up and he, he became a phenomenon because of the Broadway show. Yeah. Not the TV show, which I can't remember the name of because I don't think it lasted more than a season. Yeah. So I think he made the right choice right. as far as right. cultural impact. Yeah. 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 So uh, a little bit of trivia, um, and I'm going to do just a little bit, because this is one of those topics that if you start to do trivia, you could forget to talk about the work. <laughs> um, yeah. It is based on or inspired by Ron Chernow's 2004 biography of Alexander Hamilton. Um, famously, Lin-Manuel Miranda started reading that and said, this is a hip-hop story. Uh, it happens to be a founding father from centuries ago, but it, it is a hip-hop story and wanted to fuse um, hip-hop music styles with the, the life story of Alexander Hamilton. And while it is a Broadway musical, it also incorporates a lot of other musical styles. So we've already mentioned the hip-hop and the rap, but you'll find um, 
jazz in there and soul and R&B and also some traditional Broadway ballads um, get worked into the mix. So it's a very eclectic blend. And the uh, brick pop. Of yeah. King George. <laughs> yes, fabulous. Got a little harpsichord action coming in. <laughs> um, famously, the show uh, uses uh, actors of color in the roles of American founding fathers, which there were not many uh, in, in actual history. Uh, but you get some interesting uh, reactions as an audience when you're seeing them talk about issues of like slavery when it's actors of color mm-hmm. that are there on stage. Uh, it premiered on Broadway in 2015, which meant it was up for the awards in 2016, uh, and it set the record with 16 Tony nominations, and it won 11, including Best Musical. So congratulations to whatever five musicals were able to snag some other categories this year. Well, and well some of them, I think, were, they were up Hamilton against... performers against Hamilton uh, performers. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, so yeah. They, they, I think they tapped out. Right, right. Yeah, that, that'd be a rough year. Like, can you imagine, like, someone else has been working their whole life to get a musical off the ground, mm-hmm. and it happens to be the same year that Hamilton is coming out? It's like, well, yeah. okay. Yeah. I understand, but... Right. Huh, a little frustrating. <laughs> well, ours was the musical that not everyone on Earth was talking about. <laughs> right, right. No, ours is the musical that people came to see because they couldn't get tickets yeah, to the other yes. one. But the Consolation yeah. Prize musical. <laughs> I remember there's a, a very good... Um, James Corden carpool karaoke with Broadway because uh-huh. uh, he was hosting the Tonys that year when Hamilton won everything uh-huh. and Lin-Manuel Miranda's the main one and he they're talking about it he's like we're not I, so we won the Tony for Best Musical for In the Heights which we needed like to survive mm-hmm. as, a, uh-huh. as a play he's like Hamilton's doing fine so if I win that's great <laughs> <laughs> well and someone asked him if if Hamilton had been you know the the biggest the biggest thing that happened in his life, like the biggest kind of life-changing thing. And he said, no, he said it was In the Heights because a year before In the Heights opened on Broadway, he was still working as a substitute teacher in New York schools. And then a year later, he had a Tony. He's like, no, that's the biggest, like, Leap jump in level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And certainly, yeah. you know, and certainly he's on a different level now, but that one, I mean, that first one was like an order of magnitude and then this yeah. one, or a couple orders of magnitude. So, and uh, then, like a pretty big yeah. level up for the D&D character. Yes. Right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, um, the original cast, uh, just the last bit, they did film their last several performances. And um, in 2018, the rights for like an edited version of that original film uh, of, of the play went, went out for auction to studios. And the price I've seen is $50 million oh, for the filmed version of a play, not yeah. for the rights to do the film adaptation later. Right. It, it, right. To, to be able to be the one to release the, the filmed version, which rumor is... Or like from the articles I could find that it was going to be released in 2020 when they were bidding on it in 2018. That okay. it was still going to have a two-year lag. So sure. there may be a film version of that original cast coming out next year. We'll see. I hope so. Very excited. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, before we move on to the summary, which is actually going to be a very quick summary, because it turns out musicals are delightful to summarize. <laughs> <laughs> in, very compact. Yeah. And this one especially. Yeah, has such compact. I had out. to summarize a murder mystery today. Those are not compact to summarize. Yeah, that, that takes a little more. Uh, but before we move on to that summary, we want to thank you for downloading this episode and listening. And we especially want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you would like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers and give updates on our fantasy box office. And all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. 
All right, so spoiler description of the plot of Hamilton with full acknowledgement that the joy of Hamilton comes from the music, and I will not be performing any of the music at this point. I was promised a one-man acapella version of Hamilton. I'm very disappointed. After we record. (laughs) Oh, okay, sorry, sorry. That'll be a a patron special. (laughs) 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 That we'll get in a lot of trouble for. All right. Uh, in the opening number, Hamilton's personal history and a peek at his future are sung by the ensemble cast. Hamilton was orphaned in the Caribbean, but it was basically so smart that he sent to America, where he now looks for next opportunities in his life. He meets Aaron Burr and asks for his advice, and Burr tells him to talk less and smile more. Hamilton meets up with Lafayette, uh, John Lawrence, and Hercules Mulligan, and they sing the aggressive Not Throwing Away My Shot as they plot participating in the revolution. Um, this is what um, Lin-Manuel Miranda called the I Want song. Uh, like, like he's in most Broadway musicals, your main character has to have an I Want song where we understand the stakes of what they're trying to achieve and uh, not throwing away my shot is Hamilton's. We meet the Schuyler sisters and also New York City and then Hamilton debates with a loyalist. Then King George pops in uh, to openly, passively, aggressively threaten the colonists. Uh, George Washington is introduced and Hamilton is selected to be his right-hand man. At a winter's ball, Hamilton meets Angelica Schuyler with whom he flirts. She introduces him to her, to her sister Eliza with whom he also flirts. And then there's a very quick musical courtship and Hamilton and Eliza marry. We see a replay of Hamilton and Angelica's meeting and she laments that their match could not be. Burr sings a ballad about waiting for his chance. Then we see, uh, during the Revolutionary War, General Lee botches a battle badly for the American army, and John Lawrence challenges him to a duel after Lee blames it all on Washington. Washington is furious that the duel happened, and that Hamilton was Lawrence's second, and Burr was Lee's second. (laughs) Like, all our main characters are there right now (laughs) at a duel. Uh, Washington chews out Hamilton and sends him home, where Hamilton learns that Eliza is pregnant. Hamilton returns to the army, where he has always wanted a command to be in battle, rather than being Washington's secretary, and he's given the chance heading into the Battle of Yorktown. America wins the war, but as King George warns, he comes back on stage, what comes next? How is America going to govern itself? Uh, Burr and Hamilton both have children. Burr's is through an affair he had with a British officer's wife. They sing to their children about their hopes for the future, but mostly Hamilton and Burr are only confident that they're going to make mistakes while they're trying to do the best they can. After the war, Hamilton works nonstop as a lawyer and as the Secretary of the Treasury. Act 2. Thomas Jefferson returns from France. He uh, is Washington's Secretary of State and does not get along with Hamilton. Uh, Eliza asks Hamilton to take a break and come to upstate New York, but he says he can't right now. He has to focus on his work. Uh, exhausted and overworked, Hamilton gives into temptation and has an affair with Mariah Reynolds. It's pronounced Mariah, right? Not Maria. I think so. Yeah, Mariah Reynolds. Uh, Mariah's husband, James, then blackmails Hamilton for money. Burr is feeling left out of government dealings and longs to get into the room where it happens. He changes political parties and defeats Hamilton's father-in-law for his seat in Congress. Hamilton and Jefferson continue to argue with Washington taking Hamilton's side. Now Jefferson, Madison, and Burr are frustrated by Hamilton's position. Washington decides not to run for a third term and has Hamilton help write his farewell address. John Adams is elected president, but he and Hamilton don't exactly get along. Hamilton doesn't get along with a lot of people, (laughs) Um, even though they're in the same political party. And then Jefferson, Burr, and Madison confront Hamilton about payments to James Reynolds, and they believe that this is a political scandal where Hamilton used state funds because he was the... uh, uh, um, Secretary of the Treasury, where you state funds to uh, for personal payments, but Hamilton says, no, no, I have very detailed notes and I have scrupulous ledgers that show I was using my own personal money to pay off a blackmailer because I slept with this man's wife. Jefferson and his friends say, whoa, that is a personal <laughs> matter. Okay, we're sorry. We misread this situation. And they're going to leave it alone. 
However, Hamilton is infuriated with the very idea that there might be whispers out there that ruin his reputation as an honest politician. So he publishes a pamphlet explaining everything in detail. And Eliza is not pleased. She burns many of her letters from Hamilton. Their son Philip gets into a duel to protect his dad's reputation and dies as a result of that duel. Then Hamilton and Eliza grieve together as he retires from public life and works to mend his relationship with his wife. In the election of 1800, Jefferson is running against Burr, and it's a close until Hamilton announces his support for Jefferson, with whom he'd always fought. And Jefferson becomes president. Burr sees Hamilton as a constant obstacle in his life and challenges Hamilton to a duel where Hamilton is shot and killed. Eliza sings about telling Hamilton's story, ensuring his political enemies don't ruin his reputation. She also interviewed Revolutionary War veterans to preserve their stories and founded the first orphanage in New York City. How we're remembered depends on who lives, who dies, and who tells your story. Very nicely done. I appreciated all the name checking of the songs, too. Yeah, I tried to try to sprinkle those in, and I know for many of our listeners, you hear throwing away my shot and uh, oh, yeah, the tune no, is in your head, no. and, and you're even doing the beat, not throwing mm-hmm. away my shot. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, how can we possibly start approaching this work for a quick discussion? <laughs> Silence. Let's. So, uh, I, I think maybe our first entry point, Hamilton and Burr, these two characters that we get through a lot of songs and ballads and, and uh, personal conflict. What differentiates them? Why is there such a feud that results in a duel as far as characteristics uh, that, that make them into kind of frenemies for a good chunk of the of the play and then real enemies at the end so um when i was in seventh grade i actually did a major project on the hamilton bird duel and just because it was exciting right these two gardening fathers having this intense moment and i was really surprised to learn how long they'd kind of been bumping into each other right, which does form a major part of the play. Um, But when I was in seventh grade, the way I understood it, reading through different stuff about them, it always felt like Burr was the underdog, Hmm. which, you know, because Hamilton's the one who gets the secretary spot. He was the one who was Washington's, Washington's, right? Yeah, yeah. and and, and in the government later. And then both, when they're in New York as attorneys, Hamilton has a lot of really strong connections. So he's able to be a very successful attorney and Burr seems, you know, he's also one of New York's preeminent early attorneys, but is a little bit more on the edge during that. And then Hamilton is right in the middle of the government, right of the constitutional convention, writing the federalist papers and then serves as secretary of the treasury and stays influential. Whereas Burr is always trying to get in, which we definitely see in this, but I think it's fascinating Thinking about where each of them started with Hamilton coming as a, an orphan from the Caribbean, pulling himself up very much from his bootstraps versus Burr, who's the child of one of America's most preeminent families and has all of this wealth and just natural privilege that Hamilton manages to make Burr seem like the underdog <laughs> is mm-hmm. astounding. Yeah. 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 I think this is a lot about his his talent, yeah. right? Like, just how much a force of nature he, yeah. he was. Yeah. I, I read something recently, so like a like a psychology study, that um, that people in relationships or, or 
you know, friendships or whatever, if you are in the exact same profession or field or area, you have a harder time being happy for someone else's successes because you see them as your failures, right? Uh -huh. And so it's like, and so, um, and so if you, you know, if you see someone who's being very successful and it's something you don't even care about, you're like, good for you, so happy for you. But if you see them, even if you are still, you know, relatively successful yourself, or even if it's a trade-off, it's like, it kind of, their success, it feels like a zero-sum game, right? Uh -huh. And so it seems like one of the big problems was that they were so similar in what they chose to do. You know, it's not like one of them was going out west or one of them <laughs> wanted to be, you know, or, or go into, uh, you know, become a scientist or a doctor or something. Like they were, they kept being there and, and every time, you know, for Burr especially, it sounds like every time Hamilton succeeded, he saw it as his own failure. He took it very personally when, I mean, certainly Hamilton wasn't, doing that you know Hamilton was just doing his thing but but Burr always felt like he was in his shadow mm -hmm. yeah and I as far as like the personalities that we get um I love the fact that Hamilton's big song is I'm not throwing away my shot it's a very mm -hmm. assertive uh aggressive song uh, yeah. about I'm going to seize any opportunity that comes my way and Burr's is wait for it yeah, yeah like I'm gonna wait and see wait for my opening and so it's it's not just that they're doing they're engaged in similar fields. Mm -hmm. They have very different and polar opposite methodologies in which they're trying to engage. Now, some of that is, uh, I'm sure, uh, being simplified for narrative coherence uh -huh. uh, in this. But there's also, like like you said, uh, Mattathias, yeah. there's so many moments where they are bumping into each other and like the fact that they have their first children right around the same time. Like There's a lot of things that feel like this is being streamlined for a clear, clean narrative, and it's not. This yeah. is like yeah, the yeah, actual yeah. facts of Hamilton Burton. Uh -huh. Now, certainly... Manuel Miranda, uh, or Lynn Manuel Miranda did simplify things and yeah. move things around. <laughs> like one of my favorite examples is in the not throwing my away my shot when he's with Lafayette and Lawrence and, um, Hercules Mulligan. And Hercules Mulligan. How could you forget that name? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, they were doing an early run through and Ron Chernow, like, you know, after the performance, he's like, it's great. Um, however, this very clearly says, 1776, and they don't meet until years later. Right. And then Lynn Manuel Miranda says, I offered an explanation about why I needed this quartet narratively to be the through line of Act One, and they were each going to separate but then have their own roles to play, and there are, there are storytelling reasons why I need this to happen, and then I said to myself, I forgot they didn't meet until right. later. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's times where yeah. he's going to make choices deliberately, and times where it's just like, this is a lot of historical facts that are being thrown into this, and uh, sometimes they're going to get a little bit muddled. But mm -hmm. the Burr Hamilton relationship, like there's so much there, he really didn't have to tweak a whole lot. Yeah. yeah. Although they don't meet in seventeen seventy. Right. Yeah. Right. They, they, also, they also meet later. They, they don't meet as soon as Hamilton the, steps off the yeah, ship. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for a first person Hamilton is in New York for a couple of years yeah. before the right. revolution. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't come to New York. I think he he arrives I forget where it's like Farther Boston south, or I'm somewhere sure. else. Yeah. Oh, okay, sure. Uh, yeah, like one of the biggest and then changes is goes to school there for yeah. kind of Effectively, high school finishing school. Right. Uh, like Angelica was married before she met. <laughs> yes, like and they the and they have brothers. And they, yeah, and yeah, yeah, they yeah. have brothers. So yeah. some of the motivations that we yeah. get for Angelica passing Hamilton on to Eliza—that's mm -hmm. not there. That's to yeah. feed into some of the flirtatious letters they write each other. Speaking uh, of yeah. which, I want when you're mentioning that Hamilton, you know, went to high school or finishing school in Boston. I want Hamilton the high school years. <laughs> 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 I don't care what format, you know, graphic novel or prequel, <laughs> musical, if that's a thing. Or <laughs> yeah. and I don't don't quote me exactly on the details. It has been 
now three years since I've read the Trinau biography. <laughs> so, but uh, based on the rest of his life, I'm guessing there's some stories to tell around his yeah. high school years. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so if we were going to try and encapsulate this version of Hamilton, like what are his defining characteristics to you guys? Um, taking opportunities, seizing opportunities and make, seizing opportunities when they, when they are presented to him and making opportunities even when they don't exist. And fighting for very specific things, Mm -hmm. right? This, another of the key factors in this telling that separates Hamilton and Burr and that does really seem to be a big historical difference is that Hamilton comes in with a very strong sense of what kind of country he wants to be part of mm-hmm. and works very hard and makes lots of enemies pushing to make America that kind of country. Um, and so he has, he has this financial vision of kind of making America an economic powerhouse that is not on anyone else's mind. <laughs> like the, right. That is not the priority right now. Yeah, yeah. we're and setting up the government. Very, very yeah. opinionated about how things should be mm-hmm. and just gets things out there, right? Yeah. He has very clear beliefs and a, a very clear cause he is serving, whereas Burr is more willing to kind of, you know, I'll tell you what you want to hear. Yeah, no, right? yeah. Burr's cause I is himself. I want to be mm-hmm. influential and... There are many different things I could say that might work out to do that. Yeah. There's a famous historical quote from Burr, right? Hamilton is known as the one who writes all this stuff. The Federalist Papers. And, and Burr yeah. once tells one of his law cl- clerks, written things remain. When he's telling him, don't mm-hmm. write notes. Right? Yes. We don't want yes. documentation. <laughs> yeah. Which is yeah. this very different philosophy yeah. approaching, right? It's don't, don't write anything down. Unless you're sure you want to commit to it. Sure. Because you don't want that coming out on record later. Whereas Hamilton's happy with everything being on the record, as we see when he publishes yes. the Reynolds book. Well, well, I, I think this is, um, like, it is this very odd moment of hubris. Again, mm-hmm. that, that's historically accurate, yeah. accurate, that he published this paper explaining the first sex scandal in American political history to save his reputation as the treasurer. Yeah. Right? You know, like, I, I, I gotta do this. Uh, and... That strength that got him to where he was is also part of the hubris that brings him down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Like, the, this need to explain himself, this need uh-huh. to have everyone see things as he sees them, or, or at least have explained to them his point of view. Uh-huh. Like, that is, I, I, like, so often in the play, it's almost like he's the Kool-Aid man bursting through walls. And like, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm coming in. You know, this is this is where I need to be. And that carries over to this moment where his, like, political rivals were, like, this is a period in, in American politics where it's like, sex scandals are off the table. Like, no one has mm-hmm. those. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, some of the people in the room were having their own sex scandals that just weren't uh-huh. publicized. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and so, of course, they're like, oh, okay, well, well, we're sorry. We didn't realize this was a personal matter, and we're not going to use that for political gain because that wouldn't be done. That's not the proper yeah. way to do politics. We've left that phase uh-huh. behind um, <laughs> in, our, in our American political life, um, and and yet he still felt the need to use his words, his logic, his mind to try and write a potentially perce- perceived wrong. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. and and no one was going to do anything about it, and yet he did it to himself. Uh, yeah, and there's something that's just so like it really is like Greek tragedy level what he does to his own career, um, because of and to Eliza, yeah, and to Eliza, <laughs> and to yeah, that, and, and this is where like you see the real tragedy, like that right, song where Burn. That is the yeah. 
harshest breakup song I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> um, and it's and you really wonder, yeah. did, did he, in history, have any conversation with her where he said, hey, I want you to know what happened before he publishes this pamphlet? Yeah. 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 Right? Or does he go, and, and we don't this know. is... I need to publicly clear my name, right? Is she hearing for this for the, for the first time? We don't know. We mm-hmm. hope not, but she also burns all her letters. So. Yeah, like the, the, the pain you see in the in the play uh-huh. is not the end of his political career, yeah. which it is signaled that this is kind yeah. of dooming his own political career. There's some explicit yeah. lines of dialogue. It is yeah. what this does to his, his family, what he did, yeah. what he did to Eliza, and what this also does to his relationship with, with Eliza. Yeah. 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 Which there's a lot of arrogance there to yeah. to get to that point and then also to be brought down that way. Yeah. So what about uh, Burr? What's a character sketch we can give of Burr? We've kind of already done some as counter, as like what, what Hamilton is not is what Burr is, but is there anything else that we need to add to him? One thing that I think is interesting is this, in many ways, is this very compassionate portrayal of Burr. Mm-hmm. Well, it does portray him as having this kind of ambition where he's willing to change political parties, change his stated beliefs, and he's, he's not willing to commit himself in the way that Hamilton is. Um, but where he's still seen as this man who's who's trying to figure it all out and trying to find a place for himself and has this sense of honor, right, and his commitment to his country and to his family that really shape him. Um, whereas, a, you know, a lot of Hamilton narratives are oh this evil conniving right that <laughs> he's the loose cannon founding father <laughs> yeah. who's always scheming and you know almost got, got the presidency mad scientist <laughs> kind of yeah. Burr is also the narrator yeah. I think it's yeah. worth pointing out yeah. that you know that I I don't um I I think that's a very clear nod towards um Lin-Manuel Miranda's desire to make him sympathetic and that, mm-hmm. you know, we we obviously don't agree with everything that he does, but we definitely see things from his perspective and we allow him to present the story in a yeah. sense from his perspective. And yeah. I, you know, and I kind of wish um, I, I wish I was better versed in musical theater to know if there are other musicals that have like the antagonist of the main character serve as the narrative. And I, I like, I can't Amadeus. think of anything offhand. Oh, Amadeus. See, see, this is why you're here. <laughs> Which is fabulous. If you, if you have not heard of it, it I've definitely heard of it, yeah, but I'm not but for, for familiar listeners, with it. Yeah. It is Mozart's life and career <laughs> from the view of his main rival, Salieri. <laughs> And fabulous. Yeah, that's what we need to cover that film on this podcast. <laughs> um, well, and, and one of the most emotional, like moving parts of the whole play is Dear Theodosia, which mm-hmm. is yeah. both. Yeah. Uh, so, so Hamilton and Burr are sitting on opposite sides of the stage, and they're each holding a child, quote unquote. When you see the live production, it's pretty obviously like okay, they're just holding a blanket, but uh, but they're singing to their infants, but it's called Dear Theodosia. It opens up with Burr. It's about Burr telling the story, and then Hamilton comes in as, like, mm-hmm. the second part of it. Um, and it really does center Burr as this father figure that wants to make a better world for his daughter. And and it's changed at this mm-hmm. point. Like, yeah. uh, uh, you know, there is definitely a difference between the wait-for-it version of Burr and the I want to be in the room where it happens version of Burr. Like he becomes more assertive. And I think one of those turning points is this child. Like his worldview is definitely shifting at that point. Yeah. So um, you uh, bringing up Amadeus reminded me 
Can we talk about what is the creator's responsibility to historical accuracy in this because mm-hmm. i some friends and i were were, yeah. were were joking a while back on social media about all the historical events that we think we know about because we've seen musicals <laughs> so like the the newsboys strike of 18 or whatever because of newsies and the you uh, know and the french revolution oh wait that was a student riot what right yeah, yeah. The, the student riot <laughs> yeah. of 17 yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 18 something yes yeah. yeah from from les Mis yeah. and you know and mozart's life and and so you know 1776 and hamilton tell very different stories about about uh-huh. You know the founding. Um, yeah, because because seventeen seventy six, John Adams is the hero. Yeah, and in this, they're very dismissive of John Adams. Right. <laughs> uh, and apparently, there was in a draft of this, there was a a song, a John Adams song, like, okay. where John yeah. Adams was going to be a character, but it got cut very early on. Yeah. Where they're like, it's too much. We, we got to yeah. be pulling back. Yeah. yeah. Um. And so you just get some allusions from the King George, <laughs> the short guy, John right. Adams. He's going to rule your country. Okay, sure. Good luck with that. Yeah. Um, then you get a brief reference to his absolutely disastrous presidency in many ways. Yeah. Right. Which, right. It, well, it's, it's not a high point yeah. in American political <laughs> history. It's yeah. not a low point he's, either. He's a fascinating <laughs> guy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it is hard to argue that he was a was an effective president, which, <laughs> although I think a lot of that, definitely Ron Chernow has a very particular perception of the Adams, Adams presidency mm-hmm. that comes across yeah. the way it's shown mm-hmm. as well. So that's well, well, where the historian influences. So, so when you're like saying there's this issue of accuracy, like one of the uh-huh. major themes of this play, though, is who lives, who dies, who tells your story. And mm-hmm. at a very upfront, we're telling yeah. a story. We're yeah. telling a version yeah. of these events and yeah. you get multiple narrators like you said it, oh, it burrs the narrator but then it ends with Eliza narrating and like adding this coda mm-hmm. that explains yeah. you kind of were forgotten for a little while Alexander yeah. I'm sorry that happened because I did everything I could in my life to restore your legacy yeah. and recover mm-hmm. your legacy yeah. and Chernow very much feels like as a historian he's recovering the legacy mm-hmm. of Alexander Hamilton yeah. which had been kind of lost thanks to Thomas Jefferson and some other <laughs> figures who, uh-huh. who endured and outlived uh, Hamilton yeah. And, yeah. and changed some of the memory the cultural memory of him yeah. And, you know, at the risk of playing devil's advocate a bit, is it a problem if there's a generation of young people whose knowledge of basically in, in every situation where either either Lin-Manuel Miranda forgot about some fact or just, you know, shuffled things, changed the order of things, changed facts? Is it a problem to have, you know, to have a generation of people who know who know a slightly mistaken version of American history because they know Hamilton so well, because who are, who aren't likely to actually sit down and read the Cherno biography or other biographies. Like, is that a problem? Well, we've been mythologizing the founding pretty much since well, it was happening, (laughs) including historians who were supposedly writing facts down. Yeah. Right. So basically right after the revolution, as, as the, you know, whole American project is getting started, People start writing these hagiographic accounts, right? Parson Weems is fairly famous for his stories where George Washington is this moral hero of all the virtues. Basically right? a demigod. We all, the, yeah. we all know the young George Washington cutting down the cherry tree, which Parson Weems just totally makes up, <laughs> right? But um, And one of the very powerful images for many people is George Washington praying in Valley Forge, which also, like, there's not historical... Record of oh, this. Oh, but, but there's a besides, painting. Yeah, so it's exactly, okay. <laughs> exactly. There's a John Adams actually gets a dig in in this in one of his letters. He he even in his own lifetime felt that he was not getting the billing he <laughs> rightly deserved ouch, in ouch. accounts of the revolution. <laughs> it turns out a lot this, of the founding fathers had egos. Yeah, there's a lot of egos in the Sarcastic line 
at one point where he says something along the lines of, you know, the way that they're going to tell the revolution will be that um, George Ben Washington, Franklin yeah. struck the ground with his magic lightning rod and outsprung George Washington on his horse. Yeah. And the three of them, Franklin, <laughs> Washington, and the horse single-handedly <laughs> won the American Revolution. And that, yeah. you know, is not quite the way we tell it, but there are these very mythic tellings almost immediately that then over the years shift. And one of the things that I think is very powerful about Hamilton is in the way where it uses this postmodern, right, this way of very much saying this is a narrative and there are shifting narratives, but uses that to kind of reinterpret this founding moment in a way that's still mythic and powerful and optimistic about what America is and what it means, but then also says this is the story of all Americans, right? This doesn't, these are not busts up on the wall, right? Guys in togas who <laughs> wrote a perfect order, right? These are guys who struggled, who had these strong egos, who followed each other, whose narratives, right, by having the interracial casting, right, they're saying, hey, Alexander Hamilton doesn't just belong to white people, <laughs> right? This he is yeah. for all Americans, right? Well, Thomas Jefferson, right? Like yeah. the, these are American heroes for all Americans, and anyone can see themselves as being part of this legacy. But also, in some subtle ways, by by shifting the uh, the speaker, mm-hmm. we get commentary about this. Yeah. So, um, so one yeah. in in the. Um, the Hamilton, the the revolution, the book about mm-hmm. the story. It mentions that the actor who plays George Washington, and I can't remember his name at the moment. I'm Chris sorry, Chris Jackson. Chris Jackson. It said um, in that final epilogue when Eliza sings like about what happens to her life after Hamilton dies, she mentions fighting for abolition, and and he said, "I always bowed my head as acknowledgement of Washington's failure mm-hmm. in that yeah. front." Yeah, uh, where a lot of the founding other fathers made some moral nods towards the need to end slavery, but would never take the action that uh-huh. was necessary to actually happen. And you feel that when it's a black actor on mm-hmm. stage yeah. saying, We're, we won't be free till we end slavery. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. a different impact than, um, you know, a white actor in a, an old style wig, and, you yeah. know, and the, in the uniform. Yeah. Yeah. We'll never be free. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So yeah. do you think that, um, do you think it's possible how should I put this? Do you think it's possible to be um, irresponsible in the way you portray history? Definitely. Can like can you think of an example that kind of goes too far? And, and, and uh-huh. maybe specifically musical theater, or if not, you know. Hmm. I don't know if I have a musical theater example, but we definitely see um, the power of... <sighs> using historical narratives as a way to you know inaccurate history that then is used in the present to damage or disadvantage groups or Mm -hmm. excuse actions from other groups right um yeah yeah and so right this is part of the the continuing difficulty in america surrounding the legacy of the civil war and of the confederacy Mm -hmm. is that at the turn of the 20th century, there's a very active movement to rehabilitate the idea of the Confederacy and to put up a bunch of statues to the Confederate dead that's very much directly associated with 
imposing legal limits on African Americans, mm-hmm. right? And so there's the creation of a narrative that then serves a very specific political purpose in sure. the present. Um, and we have a lot of that in our, and the, you know, if you think about lots of the historical narratives surrounding Native American peoples, mm-hmm. right? There's, there are lots of narratives about the unclaimed vast frontier and no, the where no one was living. Savage <laughs> or yeah. noble savage, right? If yeah. you were doing a, but even that noble savage is this very negative portrayal that then serves to justify, oh, we're civilizing, we're, we're coming in and making things how they should be here yeah. instead of we're destroying a people's way of life. Mm-hmm. And, and this is embedded in both, um, like you noted, like the actual mm-hmm. histories yeah. that are written and published, but also the folklore yeah. and, and, you know, yeah. just the tales that we're going to pass down that yeah. we're, we're acknowledging like, oh, well, this is just, this is just play. We're just playing mm-hmm. cowboys and Indians. Like yeah. th- this is just, but yeah. that, that ends up embedding yeah. some of these values and these yeah. narratives into the cultural consciousness yeah. uh, in a way that I, I would imagine was unintended, but yeah. is very real. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, there, you know, cause there have been criticisms of Hamilton and I, um, and I, I think, I think it's interesting because I think that the main reason, you know, people, I've, I've, people have talked about how, um, yes, you do have all these actors of color, but they're still playing white people and you're not talking about the actual people of color who were alive at the mm-hmm. time. Um, and, and, you know, other kinds of issues like that. But I, I think it's interesting that, like, I think a lot of the criticisms are coming about not, not because there are necessary, not because the, as a musical, it's necessarily more flawed than any other musical, uh-huh. but because it is so much more popular that it gets this backlash. I think that's really, yeah. really interesting mm-hmm. when, you know, you have this work of art and you're, if it becomes super, super, super popular, you're going to get a certain kind of backlash that you're not if it becomes only moderately popular or, or obscure, but you mm-hmm. don't know that when you yeah. create it. And so yeah. like, and so, I mean, the fact that, you know, the fact that, the kids taking AP history are going to maybe get some slight details about the Revolutionary War wrong because they're going to remember Hamilton and not, you know, the textbook or something. Like, is that on Lin-Manuel Miranda's head? You know, like, like what is, what are the responsibilities of like, when it's really like time traveling because (laughs) you're only, you know, you're only getting blamed for this because something has become so popular and become so viral. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Uh, but also at the same time, like, are, are there going to be more right answers? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. Because sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And exactly. And yeah, and, and is it better for, you know, we, we I think we kind of alluded in passing that that a lot of us were f- first familiar with Aaron Burr because of the Got Milk commercial, you know, <laughs> where like, like that's, I was not, I've never been a big, you know, someone who knew a lot, a lot about history. Um, I say that so passively as like, that's just how it was. Can't do anything about it. <laughs> as, as if I haven't chosen to do other things, um, like read fantasy. Um, um, but you know, from that got milk commercial that talked about Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr, that is why I had heard of Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr, you know, outside of US history. I didn't see that commercial until last year. No, yeah. were you too young for it? Yeah, I think I was too young. And okay. I didn't watch a lot of television as a kid, well, mostly PBS. Didn't so watch didn't a lot of, he was mostly reading history textbooks. Yeah, for didn't watch a lot, of, <laughs> a, a lot of, you know, dairy. Farmer lobbyist supported <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, pop culture television. Given, given that I grew up in Ohio, it's oh wow, really kind wow, of a, wow! A <laughs> maybe okay. Dairy farmers maybe they major. didn't show them in Ohio because maybe yeah. your support of the dairy industry was taken was, for granted. Yeah, <laughs> 
you know, just real quick, with, with so much of 90s culture yeah. being remade right now, how have they not approached Lemuel Miranda to remake that commercial? Oh. <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Can you imagine how viral that would be if they just dropped it online? Didn't even pay to put as, it on television, as, just yeah, on as YouTube. One of, as one yeah. of the, um, what is it they used to call it? Like the, the ham Hamble for drops. ham. Hamble, yeah, the, yeah, the extra things they would do. Yeah, um, yeah I just, I, I find virality, you know, when uh-huh. things become orders of magnitude more popular i think that's fascinating Mm -hmm. just just what you know why that happens and what what the responsibilities towards culture are and how that's different from things that are merely popular or that are you know obscure or that are respected among the cognoscenti but you know but (laughs) not not well known otherwise so but but i also like what you said like you could put a clock on the backlash of things (laughs) that become super popular kind of out of nowhere it's like okay well how long until we get the backlash articles and let's let it for two weeks from now we're gonna get the people problematizing the the super popular thing but i think when someone does become hugely virally popular there's a tendency to be like oh this will solve all our problems there really are people who do take it to that level of like it's okay the kids will watch hamilton and we'll like (laughs) solve racism and so then you have someone who's like no no i like you know i 95 percent like hamilton but let's talk about you know this this five percent that actually perpetuates something that's an ongoing problem um yeah yeah. and i think you know and and again like i mean how many people have have written about there there are a lot more people who have written about problems in shakespeare's work than have written about more obscure playwrights from the same Mm -hmm. time period just because more people are looking at it more people are studying it yeah yeah Yeah, and speaking of putting history on stage in a mythic <laughs> way, right? This yeah. does have that Shakespearean yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. quality. Yeah, I mean, that's what Shakespeare was very actively doing, was yeah. adjusting the mythology of uh, of England's kings. Uh, you know, and so when King James is coming, oh, let's let's praise the Scots for a little bit. Let's, right. let's tell this story. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. you know, he, he could read read the tea leaves of, of what, yeah. what was going to be needed for his career. And I uh, I mean, occasionally, I, I don't want to take it too far, but the, in the in the wordplay and the double meanings and uh, the rhyme schemes, there is something that is somewhat Shakespearean about some of the, the, the hip-hop rap that happens in, in Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Obviously, very different setting culturally well, now. And, uh, but, but there's so many lines that it's like on the third listen, it's like, oh, oh, there's a double meaning in that. And then like five listenings later, it's like, there's a triple meaning in that. <laughs> and there are several Macbeth references. Yes. Which uh-huh. is especially impressive because they do it all without saying Macbeth. <laughs> yeah, of course. As they, play. <laughs> they, say, yeah. they say him as a character. Now. Yeah. Yes. They, you know, they, say, yeah. they do reference that. Um, but but yeah. they, they avoid referencing the, the yeah. actual title. <laughs> yeah. So I... We, we've kind of mentioned a couple times that this is a very postmodern play. And, and just before we started recording that, Athias, you, you kind of reached, helped me reach an interesting insight that it's, it's postmodern in form because it's going to borrow from all the different genres and mash them together to make something new that works as a cohesive whole in and of itself, but also is so referential. The more you know about Shakespeare and about 1990s hip hop albums and, mm-hmm. and, and, and musical Gilbert theater Sullivan. tradition. Yeah. And, yeah and Gilbert Sullivan, the more you're going to appreciate um, a lot of the meaning making that's happening through those references, but it does also function on its own. However, a lot of postmodernism thematically ends up being very cynical. And this actually mm-hmm. ends up being fairly optimistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so it's kind of fun, uh, form, wise it's postmodern but thematically it's it's more optimistic than a lot of postmodern works that we get yeah yeah and i think it's it's got this very interesting thing where it's right with that thing where it examines the narrative and kind of gets into the weeds of okay who who does decide how this gets told mm-hmm. right but then instead of using that to say well you can't trust anything it then really powerfully says well 
here's this story, and we're going to tell this really powerful, moving story of Alexander and Eliza and the love they have for each other and how that gets stretched and nearly broken and healed. healed, And of this meteoric career and the impact that it has on the nation and on the very idea of America, that is this very optimistic, positive view Mm-hmm. Um, of the founding whereas there is this there you know in the 1970s there was this movement to kind of analyze the founding and say hey it, maybe it isn't all that it's cracked up to <laughs> yeah. be and, yeah, yeah the postmodernism of right. the of the 60s and 70s would yeah. say oh these are all just stories we can't yeah. trust any of them therefore yeah. nothing has any meaning because yeah. nothing has any meaning period all right <laughs> and, yeah. and now let's all just wallow for a little or, bit or maybe it's but it's maybe all being have, constructed by the wealthy for yeah. their agendas yeah. Have a little fun while we're wallowing. Yeah. It's kind of yeah. that that movement, and yeah. this one, like you said, it, it ends up saying kind of inspiring. Yeah, uh, you know, at the, at the power of of one man's life yeah. to to change the world, yeah. literally. And, and if we're gonna have myths, let's build a good <laughs> myth. <right? laughs> um, there, you know, talking about who tells your story, I think there's also the point to make that. The actors in the original Broadway cast who have been involved in telling the story have had their lives completely changed. You know, there's, mm-hmm. um, there, I mean, Lynn Manuel Miranda was known before because of In the Heights. Um, and then the, the actor who played King George originally on Broadway, whose name escapes me. Um, I think he was, yeah, he was fairly well known for, for Spring Awakening mm-hmm. and for some yeah. other things. Yeah, he's been um, Lee, I think, as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's, he was on Frozen before. Yeah, so he'd been doing voice work and, and yeah. Um, but for the, but for, and, 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 um, and Chris Jackson. Jackson. I was going to say Chris Washington. I'm like, nope, that's no. who he plays. <laughs> and Chris Jackson had also been in the, in, it was in, in the Heights. Yeah. yeah. But, but, you know, but for, but for really everyone, I would say besides Jonathan Groff and Lynn Manuel Miranda, this was life changing. This mm-hmm. was, you know, like, like, um, these people have, you know, these people have deals and cameos and tours and albums. And, um, so the Two fact. Of them got married to each other. That's right. <laughs> that's right. It's, um, it's, uh, it's, um, um, Lawrence and and Peggy, Peggy. yes, huh? Yeah, I did not know which that. Is, yes. Which is also Philip and Mariah Reynolds, right? Uh-huh. Right, or Philip and Peggy, or but that's, <laughs> yeah. I guess that's his aunt, so that doesn't work. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, and Lynn Manuel Miranda claims that he knew the first table read that they were making eyes at each other, and they're like, he wants to take credit for everything. So, <laughs> he does. He does. So, um. So yeah, the fact that, you know, the fact that, that he chose to tell the story in the specific way where, where the casting of the characters, it's not just incidental that you happen to cast some people from very diverse racial backgrounds, but it, it's a very, it's a very active commentary on the history and on the story and how he tells things have, has changed the lives of these people who would not have had a similar opportunity otherwise. And it's changed who gets to tell other kinds of stories. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. The fact that David Diggs now is able to, you know, how to film a Sundance. And, yeah. 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 Um, and that's a, a powerful impact. And I, I think Hamilton was this really powerful cultural moment as well. I've, you know, been into, musical theater, you know, grew up with cats, actually, <laughs> as well, um, and a lot of the, you know, Sondheim and Andrew Lloyd Webber, and so, you know, was was very familiar with 
you know, listening to soundtracks and stuff and kind of having to imagine and fill in the gaps um, without always getting to see a staged version because I was growing up in, in Ohio. Um, and so I was used to kind of paying attention to a soundtrack and playing something over and over. I don't think I have ever played any soundtrack as much as I played Hamilton oh, in yeah. the first year yeah. after it came out. I said that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I listened to this so much, and it wasn't just me. I would go over to my brother's house and they'd be playing it for the 20th, 30th time, right within the first couple of months after it dropped. Um, my three-year-old nephew at the time had parts of dialogue memorized. Yeah. Well, and so, it is a musical where there's yeah. no spoken word. Like, yeah. if you have the soundtrack, yeah. you have everything you that have, happens on stage. You have the except, one except for one scene. song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but but it, it, yeah. you're, you're getting the whole yeah. story pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Um, and deliberately so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I have to I have to tell a funny story. Um, a friend of mine was very into Hamilton, and her kids are very into Hamilton. And she had a daughter who was like just last year of junior high or beginning of high school or something. And it came up that you were not supposed to have multicolored hair, like they had a dress code. Um, so she dyed like the underside of her hair colors, but you couldn't tell, but it was long. Mm. But then she was in a band concert and she had to put her hair up for the band concert and she was going to get like suspended from school for this. And she started a, um, she started one of those online pledges to like rally support to say that this dress code was, un, you know, like unfair. And her parents were like, mm, maybe we let you listen to Hamilton and Les Mis a few too many times. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah. they actually, she actually, they actually did get the dress code changed. So. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, learning, <laughs> learning how to act. That's right. Yeah, and yeah, and and the the musical, right? It I listened to it so much because of the power of the story, and because it really is this incredibly moving. I feel like my life has changed significantly because of the the power of this musical. Um, so we are low on yeah. time, but I did want to ask favorite song from Hamilton. I put this on social media and I basically got everything listed. So yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah it's not worth going through what was on social media. Everyone has a different favorite. So what are your favorites? I would probably say, "Wait for it." Is there a reason why that one? Is it the I music, like Aaron the lyrics, Burr's songs or? a lot, and okay. so and so, and I think that's I think that's just how his songs are written. I like "Wait for It" a lot. I like "Dear Theodosia" a lot. And I, well, I think Leslie Odom Jr. has my favorite voice in the cast album. Mm-hmm. Like, I could say all day long, Lin-Manuel Miranda is obviously a musical genius, but his voice is not the same quality sure, as Leslie sure. Odom Jr. Uh, and, 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 you know, yeah. and he said as much that, that one of the only roles that were available for, you know, for um, a Latino actor was Man of La Mancha, and he knew he didn't have the, the voice to do Man <laughs> of La Mancha, you know, and so he wrote yeah. in the heights for himself instead. But yeah, and uh, yeah, so that's a good point. I, I think a lot of it is, um, is... It's not just the song, but it's, you know, it's the person who is singing it, who has such an amazing, amazing voice, Leslie Adam Jr. Uh, but yeah, I think Wait For It or Dear, or Dear Theodosia. Oh, so many. <laughs> <laughs> that that so was my social many. media after I put yeah. this question out, basically. They are all yeah. exactly tied. And, yeah. Okay, what's the song you hate? Um, <laughs> I When I first listened to it, I was not as interested in King George's songs. Okay. But they've grown on it uh, is a very much a departure. Yeah, it's right? a very different style. And deliberate, obviously. Um, exactly. But I... So, George Washington is possibly my favorite character. 
Um, and Chris Jackson does an amazing yeah. job of embodying the one last gravitas. Time. That's another one. And exactly. I'm going to turn into your social media feed and just name all <laughs> yeah. of them. Yeah. 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 And right hand man, right? His <laughs> George Washington in the midst of battle with this frustration yeah. of the challenge of, you know, how are we even going to do this? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I know this is a cause worth fighting for. <laughs> is it a cause I can win? Yeah, but right? is it possible is this, to do is this? Is this a war I can win? Yeah. For me, like, uh, there's a, a personal connection, but yeah. throwing away my shot, it's because my, my five-year-old, like, when I was listening to the soundtrack, he, for some reason, that song just popped for him, and he, he would ask over and over again to listen to Throwing Away My Shot. So, uh-huh. like, during his quiet time, he could have music on, but yeah. not screens, and he would just want me to turn Throwing Away My Shot on repeat. Um, and, and so that one, like, because I do love the rhythm, I, I love, you know, everything we learned about Alexander Hamilton in it, and that 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 pause before the the I'm not throwing away my shot that mm-hmm. is so perfectly done. Yeah. But then there's also like now like this personal version. My version of that song has changed because of my five year old. Sure. You yeah. know, and, and my reaction to it is now layered. You know, beyond just yeah. what the song is by itself. Yeah. And the the family songs, right? The marriage of Alexander and Eliza is the central narrative, and. Burn and it's quiet uptown will tear you apart. Yeah. Like it's quiet uptown is, is, is so, so moving. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a hard one. Even yeah. uh, okay, so I thought it was moving, uh-huh. and then I saw it performed. I was like, oh yeah, oh my, I'm not ready for this. <laughs> I knew this was coming, and I am not prepared. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it yeah. it was funny how how much more seeing it added to it which in retrospect is like oh yeah it's a uh, play yeah. <laughs> it's not just songs like yeah. they have this whole visual aspect they can work with but you know sometimes one forgets that yeah, if- <laughs> yeah. all right well any final thoughts about hamilton before we wrap up this episode if for some reason you have spent these many years and have still not listened to hamilton at all um, you should try it out because you might like it. <laughs> yeah, and if it is touring in your area, try and enter the lottery to get the tickets because they always have a lottery because or... the tickets are so expensive. They do also always ensure that yes. there are opportunities, even though hundreds and thousands of people are trying to grab these few opportunities. Or just be me, <laughs> and tickets will magically come to you. <laughs> Not all of us. In fact, none of the rest of us. And we do have the hope of that, uh, that film adaptation, That's or well, that yes. film version of the play yeah. coming out. I'm sure there, yeah. in 10 years, I would guess, there'll be the film version, you know, uh, that's a full-on film adaptation. I'm not saying this is the superpower I would have chosen. I feel uh-huh. like other things could be a little bit more useful. I'm just saying that this is the greatness that was thrust on my shoulders. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and as superpowers go, it really does seem like a useful one. Okay. Yeah. Uh, producer Andrew has a superpower to walk into a store right before line forms. So he's always at, <gasps> yes. at the front of a line. And then Specifically, he looks Specifically, like, lunch and dinner restaurants. Mm-hmm. Not so much, like, the grocery store. Yeah. Right. So you step in, and, they, and then you look back and you're like, oh, just beat the rush. That's yeah. <laughs> and those are useful. So, Not life-changing, but useful. So Andrew is the rush. He's the beginning of the rush. Yeah. I, I often think my meal should be free <laughs> <laughs> because of what I bring behind me. <laughs> 
Yeah. All right. Well, thank you again, Kirsten Mattathias, for joining us. That is going to wrap up this episode. And thank you for downloading this episode, listeners. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, go to duelinggenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We would like to thank Nick English, who designed our logo, and Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. If you enjoyed this episode, I, there were no good comps. In our, we've done 250. This is episode number 250 of the podcast. There were no good comps for historical musicals, because we haven't done 1776. So, we have done High School Musical in episode number 170, <laughs> and uh, Sing Street in episode number 134. Uh, neither of which really align perfectly with Hamilton, but are good musicals uh, in their own rights. <laughs> uh, you can, can just imagine the high school Hamilton experience that Kirsten <laughs> was asking for earlier. Yes. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, you can reach us by emailing feedback at We're also on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod or at, at jdorowski. And our producer, Andrew, is at Disminute. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. Kirsten, Mattathias, anything you want to plug at all? Nope. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for coming on to this. No SoundCloud. <laughs> and, and please plug this on your social That's media. Uh, thank you again for listening, and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character and a great story. So long. Also, please subscribe to the... So good, Andrew.